A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. För de som följer internationell fotboll är möjligen holländaren Raymond Verheyen en person de lagt märke till. Inte sällan får han rubriker när han kritiserar olika storklubbars träningsupplägg och förklarar varför de drabbas av många skador. Han fick själv spelarkarriären förstörd som tonåring av en skada och satsade istället på att bli tränare och gick väldigt snabbt fram. Därefter har han varit assisterande till olika landslagstränare från EM 2000 och ända fram till VM 2014 där han faktiskt ingick i Argentinas stab och alltså firade ett VM-silver om man nu firar dem. Dessutom har han jobbat i storklubbar som Barcelona, Chelsea, Manchester City och FC Zenit St. Petersburg och en del andra. Han föreläser över hela världen med sin eget företag World Football Academy som bas. Och är ganska hård som holländare brukar vara. Eller kanske är det för att man är svensk som man tycker att han är hård. Men efter en föreläsningsdag i Stockholm så fick jag möjlighet att sitta ner med honom. Och vi börjar som vanligt på det med en fakta ute. H. 43. Family? One wife, daughter, son. Live? Amsterdam. Education? Uh, University of Amsterdam. Salary? <laughs> I don't know. What's the biggest uh, experience you've had connected to football? I think uh, that was um, the World Cup in 2002 with uh, Korea when we reached the semi-final. Uh, it was uh, first of all an incredible experience, but also because um, w- the tournament was in Korea, we could see, literally experience, what it did with millions of people. So that is uh, a memory for life. Best player you've coached? Dennis Burkamp. Is there any medal that you're extra proud of? in your uh, all the medals you have well i've done four euros and four world cups 
um, reaching five semifinals and one final last year with Argentina. So I'm proud of that. Uh, and with Barcelona winning the Champions League in 2006, but uh, I'm only proud the day I win the World Cup or the Euro, uh, because in football it's about winning. So. Uh, uh, you can only be proud if you reach the highest uh, aim. I don't know if you're a collector. Some people in football are. They collect jerseys and things like that. Do you have any artifact like that that you're really proud of? Yeah, obviously uh, I have some shirts. Uh, for example, uh, last summer with uh, Lionel Messi. So the Argentina shirt with number 10 with a signature of uh, Messi. Uh, and also for my son. Uh, but I am not a, uh, a collector, uh, let's put it that way. One player that you didn't really like to play against, the teams that you worked with, uh, an opponent you didn't like or had a hard time with? Mm, yeah, difficult to say. I, I can't think of somebody in particular. The best crowd you played in front of? Uh, now Camp Stadium. Uh, which is your favorite team? Mm, Barcelona. Anyone in Holland? Uh, Feyenoord. What kind of car do you drive? Uh, BMW. Do you have a motto? The sky is the limit. When was the last time you cried? Um, can't remember. When was the last time you got drunk? That is a long time ago. That must be when I was a student, I think. Do you bet on football games? Never, no. Do you have any belief in anything? Mm, yeah, I believe in myself. What do you read? Books. What do you listen to? Music. What do you watch? Television. Which uh, new sites or things do you visit when you're on your computer on your or your smartphone? The newspapers, the Dutch newspapers and uh, sometimes the uh, English or American newspapers. And uh, how active are you in social media? I know that you have a Twitter account. Yeah, the, the Twitter account is something I use a few times a week. Uh, for me, that is an extension of the coaching courses. Um, because Twitter is, uh, is the perfect uh, tool to reach uh, millions of people, especially because journalists use it also in uh, newspaper articles. So um, for me it's, it's perfect to send a message across the world and it also goes the other way around, that when I do a coaching course somewhere and I explain something uh, from a theoretical point of view, then the people in the room sometimes say, oh, that's what you described on Twitter from a practical point of view. And um, so that's, yeah, it's a very powerful tool. I nästa liv vill jag bli holländare. Ja, det var så jag tänkte när jag följde Raymond Förhöjen föreläsa för en hel rad svenska tränare och där fanns profiler som Peter Gerardsson från Häcken, Micke Svensson som nu är uttränare i Hanta BK och även en sån som via sats Claes Andersson. Ja, Hållandarens 
kunskaper och hans sätt att tycka och tänka kring fotboll eller rättare sagt baserat på fakta har han kommit fram till vissa slutsatser. Det är åtminstone så han vill sälja in sig. Det lockar till sig stort intresse och han är rätt spännande. Och det var uppenbart när vi pratades vid att Island och Lars Lagerbäck har gjort intryck på förhejen. Inte minst för att Island slår ut Holland på vägen till EM 2016. Där ju Holland får sitta vid sidan. We're sitting here very close to Swedish Friends Arena and you've just been having a lecture all day with a lot of Swedish coaches. You've been pretty hard on them. I followed you the whole day. I thought you were pretty hard. Is that the way it is? I, I don't know what you mean with hard. You were straightforward or you were you were not Swedish. Okay, now I understand what you mean. That Yeah, that's correct because I'm Dutch and not Swedish. So... Um, I, for me, it's impossible to be Swedish because I'm not Swedish. No, but you know what I mean. When you're pretty hard. You kind of, if someone fiddles with their cell phone, you tell them in front of the whole group, and uh, you tell them that they are shit because the instructors are shit, and then the players are shit in a sense of funny way. But you know what I mean. Kind of an irony, but still hard. Uh, no, with respect to the cell phones, um, how I started this morning is uh, s- creating an environment in this uh, room. Um, and what I said to the coaches, practice what you preach. So if you expect certain behavior from your players during, for example, a team meeting, then practice what you preach and show that same behavior during my meeting today. So if it is okay for your players to play with their cell phone when you are announcing the lineup or the playing style, then today play with your play, play with your mobile phone. But if you do a team meeting and it's not okay for your players to play with their cell phone, then don't play with your cell phone today during my meeting. In other words, practice what you preach. So, if play if coaches today in the room play with the cell phone, like you did as well, um, uh, but I didn't use that. But obviously, uh, uh, good coaches see everything. Um, So when coaches in the room today were using their cell phone, I wasn't hard on them. What I did is I asked them the question. If your player is doing this in your meeting, is it okay? And then, as you have seen, the coach said, no, the player is not allowed to do that during my team meeting. And then my question to him was, why are you doing it in my meeting? In other words, why do you have double standards? Um, So it is not that I'm hard on them. I'm just showing them the mirror and showing to them that they have double standards. And then the question is, do they understand that they have learned something about themselves or not? Because as we know, for example, when you raise children, you can talk to your children and your children learn something from what you say to them. But 
children learn much more from their parents by observing their parents. The behavior of the parents is much more effective than the words of the parents. And it's the same with coaches in relation to players. Coaches talk to the players and the players learn from that. But the players observing the coach is influencing the players much more. But most coaches are not aware of that. And especially when you as a coach have double standards, your players will figure out. And then they don't take you seriously anymore. Because on the one hand, the coach tells the players to do A, but the coach himself is doing B. In other words, he has double standards. And then the effect of your coaching will be a lot smaller, like I said, because the players see your double standards and they don't take you seriously anymore. But if the coaches don't know that they have double standards, somebody has to tell them or let them experience. And that's what we did today. Uh, most people who follow football, they know of you. I mean, you've worked a long time in football as a coach. What, how was your career as a player? Well, I was uh, playing in the Dutch uh, youth academy system, but I got injured or I developed a chronic hip injury. And by the time I was 18, uh, I had to stop. I was playing in the Dutch under 17 team. Uh, but unfortunately, when I was 18, I had to stop, which at that time was a, let's say, disaster, eh? because your whole world falls apart. You have this dream of becoming a, a professional player, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. So on the short term, it was um, uh, um, yeah, a, a problem, a disappointment. But on hindsight, it was the best thing that could happen because I was able to, um, um, to do my coaching licenses when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I went to university to, uh, to study. Um, so by the time I was 25, I already worked with the Dutch national team. And now I'm 43. And uh, like I said before, I've been to four Euros, four World Cups. So normally somebody's coaching career starts in his early 40s or late 30s. Um, while I already have this huge amount of experience. Um, and I know as a player, I would never have played a Euro or a World Cup because if I had been a professional player, I would have been an average player, just, just a average professional player. Um, so on hindsight, that was uh, very nice because, uh, yeah, in the last uh, 15 years, uh, I had these a lot of beautiful experiences. What uh, uh, what did you have that make it uh, that made you interesting for the national team at that age? Because as you say, it's not that common that you're 25 years of age and uh, you work with the national team. Yeah, when I was uh, 23. Uh, I finished my university uh, degree and at the end of that degree I had to write a thesis and that thesis became a book. I turned that thesis into a book because during my study I was looking for the coaching book and I couldn't find it. So then I thought, okay, then I have to write it myself. So I did a, a study about what players are doing during the game and in relation to playing styles, etc. And uh, I turned that thesis into a book, and that book became the coaching book for the Dutch FA. 
for the coaching courses. And when the Dutch FA used my book, a few months later they asked me to be an instructor because that for them it was much easier instead of somebody else educating from my book. So when I was 24, I became a coach educator at the Dutch FA. And my first group was a group of four. It was Ruud Gullit, it was uh, Ronald Koeman, Johan Neeskes and Frank Rijkaard. They were your pupils? Yeah, they were my first four students. Wow. And, um, and I wasn't nervous at all because on, yeah, on hindsight, I thought, yeah, I did what I had dreamt of, working at the highest level with the best people. So uh, although I was only 24, it, it went okay. But you must have been a little bit nervous going in with Hulit and I, I mean, no, talk, no, no, not, no, at not at all. No, I, re I remember that, that, not at all. And uh, probably Frank Rijkaard, who one year later in 1998 became the Dutch national coach, pro he probably, he must have seen that during that year, during that course, that although I was 24, I, uh, I performed, I was stable, I wasn't nervous, I etc. Uh, so when he became the national team coach, he asked me to become one of my assistants, and I was 25 then. So it must have it must have something to do with what Frank Rijkaard saw me doing during that course. Wow, it's a little bit impressive that you're at that age, at least uh, the way I see it. And how come you now you worked a many times as an assistant but not very often as a head coach how is that um yeah i don't have the ambition to be a head coach that's why i haven't done my pro license uh, because if you want to be a head coach you need your pro license but um, i stopped after my a license uh, and i said okay i don't want to go any further uh, like i said i don't have that ambition why um because I think that the assistant role uh, suits me much better. I am a, let's say, philosophical person, an analytical person um, who likes the, let's say, longer term process. And um, the short term process, like uh, worrying whether the ball goes inside the post or outside the post, that's not interesting for me or having to do all these press conferences every three days or every six days or uh, whatever. For me, that's boring. It's like uh, as if you live in a tunnel. It's one-dimensional. Um, if you are a head coach, you live in a tunnel, and the only thing you have to do is winning, 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 winning. Uh, and I'm a creative person. I like to develop football. I like to take football to a higher level. Uh, like I said, because I'm more like a philosophical and analytical person. Uh, and when you are an assistant, you have that freedom because you are not responsible for the end result. You are supporting the head coach, assisting the head coach. That gives you a lot more freedom uh, to be creative and to uh, develop processes. So um, I have been a head coach um, in, uh, at the highest amateur level. Uh, in Holland and for one year and with the Dutch uh, in with Feyenoord Rotterdam with the second team the under 23 team and the funny thing is that with both teams we won the title and often when coaches win the title they think it has something to do with them 
and they think, oh, I, I have two titles now, so I must be really good. But despite the fact that I had, I was head coach for two years, and in both years I won the title, I still thought, nah, this is not for me. So um, I think that says it all, because normally people get carried away with winning titles, and then they say, oh, I must be a head coach. And the fact that I won two titles and I still stopped as a head coach, yeah, that is the ultimate proof that uh, I don't want to be a head coach. You're, you were also involved in, in Wales, the national team, when Gary Speed uh, was the head coach and you worked together. You were the assistant coach and then he uh, he passed away, he committed suicide, very sad. Uh, how, uh, how was that situation? Well, that year 2011 was beautiful. Uh, it was really one of the nicest things I have uh, experienced uh, because uh, yeah, in the first six months of 2011, that, what, that is what we call the phase one of the process, we uh, had to make everything perfect off the pitch because it was a very amateur situation and it was, uh, the organization was very poor. So we had to cr create a perfect situation off the pitch. Because if the hotel that you stay in is not good, uh, that, that there is no telephone reception uh, or the internet is extremely slow, if you are gonna put demands on the players, if you want your players to join the transition for 90 minutes, and you say to the player, hey, join the transition, then the player is gonna say, hey, arrange a good hotel, you know? So first, if you wanna be demanding to your players, first you have to be demanding to yourself and create a perfect situation off the pitch. And that's what we did for the first six months. And then in the second six months of 2011, we uh, changed our attention from off the pitch to on the pitch, and we started to develop the playing style. And uh, we started as uh, 128 in the world, and uh, three, four months later, we were 40 of the world. So. Yeah, things went very quickly, uh, and that was the biggest jump on the FIFA ranking ever. And FIFA uh, awarded us with uh, the best team in 2011, which in itself doesn't mean anything, but at least it was a sign that we were on the right way. So we could see that there was a lot of potential with this team. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, in uh, Sunday, uh, the 27th of November, I will always remember that, of course, uh, the rest of my life, I got this call, phone call at around uh, 10 o'clock from uh, Craig Bellamy. And he said, uh, and I knew because he had to play the game in City-Liverpool later that afternoon. So a player calling you in the morning before such an important game, that normally doesn't happen eh, because they are focusing. So immediately I knew something was wrong when I saw his name on the display. Uh, yeah, and then uh, he told me, and um, yeah, that is uh, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Did you uh, were you shocked, or did you know that Gary Speed had these problems of depression? No, not at all. I mean, that is what makes it so strange, because if there had been signals. Maybe signals that you only recognize on hindsight, uh, that when the signals happened, you didn't see it. But maybe after uh, his death, 
you when you think back you you when you think oh i missed something then at least you understand but even when i was thinking back for those uh, 11 months i couldn't think of anything that would explain uh, this so yeah yeah what can you say it's, it's a very weird experience the process for Wales continued and now they're in the european championship i think for the first time in a long time they've reached a big uh, championship can you feel any joy i know that there was some kind of disruption between you and the federation no there there was no disruption between me and the federation there was disruption between gary speed and the federation uh, because gary made some very unpopular decisions uh, because there was this technical committee within the wales football association and these were men of 75 years old and they were used to make all the decisions and gary was at some stage fed up with that because it was so conservative and slow so he in the second half of 2011 gary decided to ignore those people so he didn't make a lot of friends so from then on the relationship between the welsh fa and gary speed was very bad and the perfect example of that is that Gary's wife knew that. And during the funeral of Gary Speed, nobody of the Welsh FA was invited, which is very strange, right? Because yeah. he is working for the Welsh FA, and then nobody of the Welsh FA is invited for the funeral. Yeah, that speaks for itself. Eh? That, and his wife knew that the relationship with the Welsh FA was very bad. Um, and I knew that because I was the assistant of Gary, that if they don't like Gary, they don't like me, uh, because they see me as the ally of Gary Speed. So, um, yeah, so I knew that uh, they would uh, try to get rid of me uh, because yeah, they wanted to take power back. So they, all the decisions that Gary had made, they wanted to turn the clock back. Uh, and if you keep me, then turning the clock back is difficult. But if you get rid of me, then you can take all the power back. Um, so yeah, that that was uh, yeah that was sad. But um, still, uh, Wales qualifying uh, yeah makes me proud because uh, uh, if you want to have long-term success, first you have to create a, a, a very good environment, and that's what we did in 2011. And also, I'm very happy for the players, of course, because. Uh, yeah, these, this is such a talented generation. Uh, so most of all, I'm very happy for them that they can experience uh, a tournament like this. A good head coach is a, is, is a coach that wins the most games. Yeah, because in football it's about winning. But winning obviously is the outcome of a process. And there are basically two ways to um, to coach a process in football you have two categories of coaches you have the teachers and you have the managers the teachers are coaches who are very strict they have a method and wherever they are they apply that one method so wherever they go the club the players, everybody has to adapt, adjust 
to the method of the coach. It is my way or the highway. And that's what you call the teacher. And this teacher is perfect for young players because young players don't have a reference of their own yet. They are relatively inexperienced. So they want the coach to tell them what to do. So this very strict coach is ideal for young players because then the players, they like the reference of the coach because then they can hold themselves and they, they know what to do. On the other hand, you have the people's managers. So for the people's managers, their method is not the objective and the players have to adapt to the method. No, for the people's managers, their method is only a tool and they adapt, adjust their method to the players. So it's the other way around. So the players and the situation is the starting point and now they adapt, adjust their method to the specific situation. So they are more flexible. It's like go with the flow. So the teachers are for young coaches, my way or the highway, and their method is the objective. The people's managers is more, the method is flexible, go with the flow. So that is ideal for more experienced and older players who already have their own experience and they don't want a teacher to tell them what to do because based on their experience, they already know. So you have these two uh, categories, the teachers and the managers. And basically what clubs should do is they should analyze their squad, their players. Do we have a relatively young squad, inexperienced squad? Or do we have a relatively old and experienced squad? And if they have relatively young players, they have to hire a teacher. And when they have an older squad, experienced squad, they have to hire a manager. And basically, that is how you can describe coaching processes in football. We have uh, two Swedish coaches that have been named internationally lately, uh, or Senior and Eriksson has been for a long time, and then Lars Lagerbeck now with Iceland. I guess you've seen that he took Iceland. I think they played Holland. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, very yeah. good. What, what's your view of Eriksson and uh, Lagerbeck? Well, Eriksson, I mean, that is well known. He is, let's say, the ultimate people's manager. So he is somebody who surrounds himself by uh, all kind of assistance. He delegates the responsibility to them and he manages it. Lars is, I think, a little bit more like a teacher. I don't know him well enough to be 100% sure, but that's what I think, because Lars also has, let's say, a coach education background. Uh, he's also a good teacher, uh, coach educator. Um, uh, and I don't think that he is an extreme teacher, like very strict, my way or the highway. That's not what I think. I think he is um, somewhere in between teacher and people's manager, but let's say more in the direction of, uh, of teacher. That's from the outside. That's how I would uh, judge the situation. I think you're correct with Lagerbeck. He, he has his method. Then it's not that hard, as, as you say. He's yeah. more. But he's, he's been impressive. Uh, some people in Sweden... He was in Sweden for 13 years and then people tired of him because he was very strict with his method. But now they, people want him back in a way because mm -hmm. they think he's done so well with Iceland. Mm. 
Yeah, I remember uh, because in uh, two th I think it was in uh, 2010 he was coaching Nigeria. Correct. And we played him with Korea. And I think in 2008 he was coaching Sweden. You played we him? We played him with Russia. Yeah. That and was a terrible game for Sweden. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very strict 4-4-2. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, yeah, if you play with 4-3-3 uh, with three midfield players. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was an easy, easy game for Russia. Russia played really well. No, yeah. easy, easy is not the right word, but um, but Russia played really well. So, um, yeah, I think with Iceland, he has been tactically more flexible than he used to be in the past. Yeah, he, he, for us, it's incredible that Iceland not only qualifies for the European Championship, but that they beat Holland. I mean, we Sweden went to Amsterdam in 2010 and were... Uh, sunk really bad yeah but that has to do with the specific situation of the dutch national team because uh if you reach the world cup final in 2010 and the semi-final in 2014 then it is impossible that it is a structural problem so it must be a temporary problem a uh, a just a specific moment, a specific situation. And um, if you analyze the Dutch national team, then what you can see is that the older players between 28 and 32, and we have a few of them like Robbe, Schneider, Van der Vaart, Huntelaar, um, Robin van Persie, these five, um, they should be the leaders of the team. And when they are fit and when they are playing, they are doing really well reaching the World Cup semi-final or final. But in the last two years, after the, let's, let's say, last 18 months, after the World Cup in Brazil, uh, Robben was injured, Van der Vaart was injured, Van Persie was injured, Schneider was sometimes injured. So then, all of a sudden, the leaders between 28 and 32 years old are not there. And then the younger players have to do the job. It's almost like you cut somebody's head off and then the rest of the body has to do the job. And, um, yeah, and those younger players between 18 and 23, who are very talented because they have played a World Cup semi-final, so uh, they are very talented and already a little bit experienced, but they couldn't do the job on their own. And as a result, the Dutch national team didn't qualify. Um, but that is not a structural thing, that is a temporary thing, because they were playing and the oldest player was 26. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Rubriker går gärna hand i hand med Raymond Förhejen. Inte så mycket kanske för att holländaren vill det, utan mer för att han är så rak och tydlig och hård, åtminstone om man är van vid något annat. Han var tidigt ute med att påpeka att David Moyes metoder för träning var helt fel och att det skulle leda till en del problem i Manchester United. Och alla Arsenal-fans som ju får se sitt mittfält gå sönder gång efter annan vet att Förhejen många gånger påpekat att Wengers metoder ja, de är lite ålderdomliga och tar inte bästa hand om spelarna. Och så kan det fortsätta för att eh, holländaren han vet eh, att det inte funkar på bästa sätt inom den konservativa sporten fotboll. Och han vill ju gärna förändra den. Men det är ju inte alltid så att alla lyssnar på honom. If uh, we look at the lecture you had today and that will continue for several other days, it's uh, kind of refreshing because football is so conservative and you're bringing in something new. Uh, can you explain a little bit what it is that you want to bring into football? Well, traditionally, football is conservative. I would say it is very subjective. The problem in football is that subjectivity is the starting point opinions, experiences, etc. What is lacking in football is a objective reference. And when pilots are educated, they are educated with a very clear reference. When surgeons are educated, they are educated with a very clear reference. And the same, for example, with uh, Marines and Navy SEALs. And then once these people have been educated in an objective and very strict way, then in practice they apply that reference and then subjectivity becomes important because then in practice you have to deal with external factors or you have to make decisions. But for surgeons and pilots and Navy SEALs, their subjectivity takes place within a objective reference. 
Unfortunately, in football, that objective reference doesn't exist. And as a result, coaches are subjective, but not within an objective reference, but without a reference. So then subjectivity is the starting point. And that is why in football, things go all over the place. What should happen, and that is what I've done today in the course, is create this objective reference. So how do you create this objective reference? By analyzing the game. Because when you analyze the characteristics of the game, you create an objective reference because everybody is playing the same game. Um, and I can imagine that it is new to you, but at the same time, that's also very sad because all I do is keep it simple, keep it objective, and just describe what is happening on the pitch. And at the same time, people think, oh, this is new. So then you have to ask yourself the question, what did we do for the last 50 years then, being subjective? Yeah, but just the thing that you take as an example and that you discuss is uh, the way they uh, clubs bring in a fitness coach to work on the fitness, but you want the football coach to do the fitness as part, not separate, as part of the football. Yeah, you use the word you want, and, and it's not so much about what I want. No, sorry, but what you tell. Yeah, exactly, because I don't want anything. I'm just describing football. Um, yeah, today I used a metaphor. Uh, so I'm somebody from Holland, where Dutch people speak Dutch. And now I step into Sweden, and just imagine that I want to live here and work here, etc. So what language should I speak? Can I keep speaking Dutch? Or should I learn Swedish? And we all know that if I go to Sweden and if I live here, but I keep speaking Dutch, then everybody will ignore me because nobody has a clue what I'm talking about. So if I want to be part of Sweden, I have to learn Swedish. But this is only a metaphor. Because now you can use that metaphor to analyze the football world. So you have the football world with football people speaking football language, passing, dribbling, shooting, defending, etc. Football words. And then the fitness coach from outside football steps into the football world and he keeps speaking fitness language. In other words, he keeps speaking Dutch. But if I keep speaking, if I speak Dutch in Sweden, people say stop. But if the fitness coach steps into the football world and he speaks fitness language instead of football language, nobody says stop. So what should happen is that football world should define fitness in football language. What does that mean? In football, you want to make football actions, but you want to make them as frequently as possible to play a high tempo. And you want to make them for as long as possible because the game is 90 minutes. So football fitness means making football actions as frequently as possible and for as long as possible. That is fitness in football language. And who is the person who is specialized in developing more actions per minute, higher tempo, or actions for longer 90 minutes? Whose core business is this? The football coach. So that is the message of today. How come it hasn't been like this you you talk about UEFA FIFA not implementing this I mean it should as you say it's pretty clear-cut it should have been like this why hasn't it been like this because FIFA 
who is responsible for the game and educating the game hasn't analyzed the game. That sounds very strange, but that is what it is. So instead of analyzing their game that they are responsible for, if they had done that 60 years ago, they would come up with the same conclusion as I did today. In football, we want to make actions and we want to make them more often and 90 minutes. But that how, is the conclusion they should have drawn 60 years ago. But how come coaches hasn't drawn that conclusion a long time ago? How come they've put the responsibility of fitness for a fitness coach? Well, coaches are educated by associations. So the football association is organizing a football course. And the least you can expect from a football association is that he, that they educate their course, their coaches in football language. They, they teach them about tactics in football language. They teach them about technique in football language. They teach them about game insight in football language. And then all of a sudden, when it's about fitness, they educate them in non-football language. Well, if you educate football coaches about fitness in non-football language, you develop the perception inside coaches that fitness is non-football. In other words, something else than football. So the way coaches have been educated is the reason why coaches think consciously or subconsciously that fitness is something else than football. If you educate coaches about fitness in football language, coaches develop the perception that fitness is football. If you educate coaches about fitness in non-football language, you develop the perception that fitness is non-football. And if coaches think that fitness is non-football, they are going to hire somebody, a non-football coach, to develop non-football fitness in non-football exercises. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is there, can you perceive a change or is it, are they continuing in the old school way? Uh, yeah, people are continuing in the old school way. So that is a given, eh? that is something, yeah, that is what it is. But we have started the World Football Academy six years ago in 2009 and our mission is to educate football coaches in football language with football exercises. So not based on opinions and experiences, not based on subjectivity, but we develop courses in which coaches are educated in an objective way based on the characteristics of the game. And in the last six years, we have gradually developed departments on all the continents now. So we have departments in, in, in Japan and Australia, Dubai, South Africa, Europe, uh, South America, and North America. Um, and we don't want to change the world, and we don't want to convince everybody. No, our mission is to give coaches who want to learn the opportunity. And everybody who wants to keep it old school, they can keep it old school, and we will not call the police. We, uh, we accept that. But we only give coaches, especially the next generation, of course, because they are much more open-minded. We give coaches who are interested the opportunity to do it in football language. 
you've gotten quite a few headlines through the years, especially in England. The English press likes you and you uh, are quite hard uh, against some of the old school coaches, dinosaurs and whatever you call uh, Moyes and uh, all of those guys. What's your uh, view of that? Is it something you like, the headlines, or is it just part and parcel of the game? Yeah, it, it has nothing to do with being hard. What I do is I just stick to the facts. And if certain coaches have injury crisis season after season after season, then at some stage they develop a pattern. And at some stage I recognize that pattern and then I am able to predict it in advance the next season, which is what I do. I always say it in advance. And that is not being hard, that is just sticking to the facts and drawing conclusions. Well, like I just said, our mission with the World Football Academy is more directed to the next generation than the current generation. Because basically the current generation, the older generation, they're already stuck in their ideas and beliefs and etc. So it is very difficult to change the thinking of older people uh, who are already stuck in their ideas. So we are not so much focusing on the older generation, we are focusing on the new generation, the younger guys. And so we don't want anything from the current coaches. And we, uh, we don't want anything from them. Basically what I'm doing is I'm using them to show the next generation how not to do it. So I use the mistakes of the current generation to teach the next generation. But are you surprised that, I mean, clubs like Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester United, they're investing enormous amounts of money in players. And Are you surprised that they accept these older generation coaches, the methods they use? Um, well, you should be surprised eh, because it is very strange that if you are Arsenal and when you have everybody fit, you are maybe the best team in the league, but almost never you have the best team on the pitch eh, because Arsenal has the worst injury record by far in the last 10 years of the Premier League. Um, players like Aaron Ramsey, uh, Alex Ox Oxlade-Chamberlain, Theo Walcott, Jack Wilshere, but also in the past Sanja, Fabregas, Robin van Persie. We're talking about seven players now. Eh? They were injured season after season after season. So there is a pattern. Seven young players are injured for months every year. Well, that is a very worrying pattern. So thankfully, last December, in the stockholders meeting at Arsenal, people started to ask questions. How is it possible that we invest in a club with potentially one of the best teams in the league, but we are never playing with the best team in the league because most of the time, three, four, five players are injured. And then the ball started rolling. So now inside Arsenal, they're, they're, the ball is rolling and they have they are forced to solve it. 
But what you would have hoped is that Arsen Wenger, three, four years ago, would have done that himself. That he himself wanted to solve it. But what you see is that he's always blaming the outside world. He is blaming uh, the referee, he is blaming uh, national teams, uh, he is blaming nutrition supplements, uh, he is training the, the training pitch, whatever. Is it possible that, uh, is it the training methods that are causing the injuries or are they training too much? Or The most important reason for injuries in football is fatigue. Because if you are accumulating fatigue, fatigue is kind of tiredness yeah, in the muscles, yeah. then the signal from your brain to your muscles travels slower. Uh, your brain is guiding, coordinating the muscles, sending signals, and then the muscles execute what the brain wants them to execute. So, for example, when a player has to rotate, the, the brain is sending a signal to the knee, to the muscles around the knee, to contract. Because if the muscles around the knee contract, they stabilize the knee, and then you can rotate without a problem. But if you are accumulating fatigue over time, and the signal from your brain to your muscles is getting slower, then what happens is that the player is already rotating, rotating his knee, while the signal to the muscles of the knee has not arrived yet because the nervous system gets slower. And then the knee is rotating, but in a relatively unprotected situation. And what do you think is going to happen with your ACL if the muscles around your knee have not contracted yet because the signal from the brain has not arrived yet? Yeah, the ACL will snap. But the player is rotating. There is not a single opponent next to him. Uh, it is a very innocent action. So people say, huh, that is strange. No opponent attacking him. It is a very innocent action. And he is uh, snapping his ACL. Oh, that is very unlucky. So people call ACL injuries often unlucky. While in reality, it has to do with accumulation of fatigue. And what does that mean, accumulation of fatigue? Within a session, you develop fatigue. That is no problem. If you want to improve, you develop fatigue. So fatigue within a session is okay. As long as you get rid of the fatigue before you have the next session. But if you train too often, the time between the training sessions is shorter and sometimes too short to get rid of all the fatigue. As a result, you start the next session, but you are still tired from the previous session. During the next session, you develop new fatigue, and so you accumulate fatigue. If this process continues from day to day, week to week, and month to month, the fatigue in the body accumulates, 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 because there is not enough time between sessions to recover. And the, the nervous system, the signal from the brain to the muscle, gets slower and slower and slower. And at some stage, you get an ACL injury or a muscle injury. So the most important reason for injuries in football is fatigue, because then the coordination, the control over your body goes down. 
You've worked in a couple of the big clubs, Chelsea, Manchester City. I know you've been critical of uh, Mancini also and uh, David Moyes, Manchester United. The football world is still quite small world. I mean, how how are you? Uh, how do they react to your uh, what you're telling them? By coming up with excuses, eh? because what you see is that more and more journalists um, read the books, come to the courses like you today. More and more journalists educate themselves about the, these principles. And then these journalists are here in the course, for example, like you, or they read books, and they understand it. And they think, yeah, yeah this is simple, this is logic. And then based on this education, the journalists become more and more educated to ask the right questions to the coaches. So for coaches, it becomes more and more difficult to explain injuries. And then the only way for them to escape, instead of saying, yeah, I did it wrong, the only way to escape is blaming external factors. The referee, the opponent, uh, the pitch, the weather, uh, the, 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 the fixtures, the national team, etc. So journalists become more educated. They understand that something is wrong. And the coaches try to escape by blaming external factors. So how, that is what they do. How often are you contacted by players who want help with their fi I mean, they understand that this is not really good for me. I need to get my own uh, coach who can help me with my fitness. How often does that happen? I know you helped Craig Bellamy, example. Yeah. Well, that happens frequently, but the only way that I help a player, if the player gets permission from the head coach for me to help him. Because if I want to help the player, I have to influence, change his training program. I have to balance his training program better. That means that I must be able to influence what this player is doing or not doing in relation to the team training. And that is only possible when the head coach supports this process. So that is the only way that it works. How often does a head coach say no? Yeah, that, that happens a lot. But yeah, I make the player responsible for that process. So the player asks me, I tell the player, I want to help you, but only when the head coach agrees. And then the player has to sit down with the head coach. Yeah, and then nine out of ten times, um, the head coach says no, uh, which again says something in itself. Can you tell me any players who have had gotten a no from their head coach? Yeah, obviously not, because uh, I don't think that from a confidential point of view, those players would appreciate that, because it puts them in a difficult position also in relation to uh, to the head coach. Uh, so uh, I don't think that is a very smart idea, but you will probably understand that. Under föreläsningsdagen med svenska tränare så tryckte Raymond Frejen dit lite provokativt några gånger. Och han gjorde det naturligtvis för att få reaktion. Ibland körde han det enkla och bara skrika Hello! För han inte fick någon reaktion. Ja, vi svenskar är ju inte direkt så det sparkar om det alltid i sådana sammanhang. Och 
en gång så försökte han också trycka till med sportligt att ja, men det är i Sverige är för tant och det ena med det andra och ni vinner inte och det är jantelagen och som finns i Skandinavien och så vidare. Och då var det någon som påpekade, jo men vi vann ju u 21 i somras. Och då bara dräpte han till med att Jo, tror inte att U21-EM är någonting egentligen. Holland vann både 2005 och 2007. Hur många spelare var det som nådde Hollandslaget? Ja, en eller två på sin höjd. Så att eh, man ska inte tro att man är någonting. Åtminstone inte om man eh, inte är holländare. Men uppfriskande är det i varje fall. What's your relationship with uh, Swedish football? I think you worked with Henrik Larsson uh, with Raycart in Barcelona, or not? Yeah, in 2006, uh, um, when they uh, when they won the, the, the Champions League in, in Paris against Arsenal. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I don't know him that well, uh, obviously, because I haven't seen him ever since. Um, but from what I saw, there was a documentary on Dutch television that he uh, was coaching uh, Helsingborg, I think. Yes. And um, yeah, o- obviously it's a snapshot and only from the outside. But I had a good, I had a good impression. I th- it, it it felt like he was ambitious and committed and uh, trying to make the best of it. So. Uh, yeah, hopefully he will make uh, a good coach. You also worked with Feyenoord. I think the season John Gretti went there on loan from Manchester City. Did you work with John Gretti also? Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was scoring a lot of goals. There was uh, a lottery ticket. Uh, I already knew him because uh, he was once playing uh, with Sweden. I think Sweden under seventeen yes. against Holland under seventeen, and he scored four goals in a four-three uh, match. So I, I had already seen him when he was younger. Uh, but yeah, he did a great job, and uh, um, yeah. After that, he struggled a little bit with his yeah. health, I think. Yeah, he uh, had ate some bad chicken in Rotterdam, and he got sick, and it almost took out two years of his career. Yeah. Now he's on his road again. He was in the under twenty-one team that won in the, the Czech Republic uh, this summer. Yeah. But you were uh, you said when uh, someone here said in the course that. We won the under-21 Euro. You said, oh, that's nothing. In Holland, we won in 2005 and 2007, and no one really made it. Is it that harsh? No, the, the thing is that um, in youth football, uh, you can win titles. But the most important thing in youth football is to develop players for the first team. Because eventually, there is only one thing important, and that is the performance of the Swedish national team, the first team. Eventually, that is the only thing that matters. And now the question is, uh, because it was discussed in the course today, uh, but almost in a way like, oh, we won the under 21 championship, but it was discussed as if Sweden national team had won the Euro. Yeah. So what I did is I put it in perspective. I said, listen, in 2005 and 2007, the Dutch under-21 team won the Euro. And of those two generations, only one player made it in the Dutch national first team. That's not very good, is it? So it proves that under-21 success is only 
a temporary success and it is absolutely no guarantee for the success that only matters and that is the first team. Uh, the Swedish coach Erik Hamren for the Swedish national team he's been criticized because not bringing up as many players from the under 21 but you understand him in a way if they're not good enough for that. Well, I don't know the players of the under 21 team well enough to say yes or no. The only thing I can say is that when you play under 21 football, you only play against players who are the same age. But when you play in the first team, you play against players who are older or much older and more experienced. So one is totally different than the other. So I'm not surprised that a coach doesn't automatically bring in the under 21 players because these are two totally different worlds, playing against your same age or playing against the best players in the world who are 10 years older. Two different worlds. In this course today, there was also, uh, you joked a little bit about Sweden, uh, one player team, of course, Slatan Ibrahimovic, reaching the Euros, but then going there, losing three games and going home. That, at least that, it sounded that that was your view. No, it's, it's again not about my view. I just summarized facts. Uh, you qualify for a tournament and then what you often see with Sweden is that they don't reach the second round. So the message was, hey, you qualify, but you don't reach the second round. What should, uh, should happen? What is necessary to make that next step? And if you think, oh, yeah, we have Slatan and great, we qualified, and you make yourself very vulnerable because of this one player making the difference and you qualifying might put sand in your eyes, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. Because Slatan taking the team by the hand, qualifying for the Euro, yeah, qualifying for the Euro might be perceived as, ah, we're doing a great job in Sweden because we qualify all the time. But if that is only because you have one exceptional player and when he's not playing, you are a very average team, like Wales with Gareth Bale, eh? don't forget. Um, then qualifying for the Euro or the World Cup, but not progressing to the second round, instead of celebrating the qualification, you should ask yourself the question, why don't we ever reach the second round? Maybe that is because there's one good player, but overall we don't produce enough good players to make the next step. And then the qualification puts sand in your eyes. Yeah, that was the message of today. Slatan Ibrahimovic, I think you know him well since he went to Ajax first and developed there. Are you surprised by the his career? No, not at all. Because uh, when he came to Ajax, you could al already see his determination. And obviously, when he was young, his determination went all over the place. So he also did a lot of stupid things uh, because young people are already unstructured. But if this young person has an enormous drive and he is unstructured, an unstructured enormous drive is almost like a loose cannon. So 
the enormous drive is his strength, but if he doesn't get the right guidance, this enormous drive goes all over the place. Yeah, and then, uh, like I said, he, he can be a loose cannon, which is what happened at Ajax. But at some stage in their life, these young people with their enormous drive, maybe just by falling and standing up, falling and standing up, falling, standing up, uh, they will figure it out themselves that they should not be a loose cannon, but they should direct their enormous drive in the right direction. And that is what he did with trial and error. Uh, listen, look at the clubs that he played at, and ev almost every year they win the title. I think there's not a single player in Europe that has won so many titles, national titles. He hasn't won the Champions League. Will that be something he will have to carry? Yeah. But that also has to do with uh, choosing the right club. Because I think that he is in the position to choose clubs. Um, so, um, if you want to win the Champions League, then maybe you should not play in Paris, but somewhere else. If you look at the way his body has developed from being in Ajax to uh, Paris, uh, is that something uh, that surprises you? I mean, he's become so much muscular. Um, well, I don't think he has become so musc muscular uh, because football players don't develop big muscles. They develop explosive muscles. It's like with volleyball. I don't know whether you have seen volleyball. Yeah, I know. These guys can jump extremely high, but they have thin legs. So it is not so much about how big the muscle is it is about how much percentage of the muscle you can use so if you have a muscle and you only use 60 percent your brain is only using 60 percent then it it makes no sense to make the muscle bigger so you make the 100 percent 110 percent because you are only using 60 percent of the 100 percent so it makes much more sense to learn to use 70%, 80%, 90%, 100% of the 100%. In other words, instead of making the muscles bigger, you should learn to use your muscles better. And that is what you see in combination with when they get older and their muscle uh, or their body fat decreases. Eh? When these guys are young, their nutritional habits are not the best in the world. So they live in Amsterdam on their own, in an apartment. They don't cook, so they go out and take a pizza or Chinese or whatever. But when they get older, they become more and more professional. They start to focus on their nutrition, and then their body fat goes down. So, that is the, so instead of making their muscles bigger, you see their muscles more. Okay. If you look at Satan, he's 34 now. Usually, before, forwards usually did stop scoring goals around 30, injuries and things. Is that something that's exceptional for him, that he's at 34 years of age, still scoring a lot of goals? Uh, it is exceptional compared to many other players, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think that, like I said, uh, he has become much more professional compared to when he was playing with Ajax. 
uh, he takes care of his body. Um, and the other thing is that um, his body composition helps because if you are a more fragile player, you will get injured maybe when you're 30, 31. But he, just by nature, is a very big player. So um, that also helps. Um, so I think that um, he could play for another two years at least, uh, if you look at his performance right now. Så har vi haft en debatt om gamla storspelare och om de ska få en gräddfil till tränarutbildning eller inte. Och, eh, många har ju varit kritiska. Jonas Tern har ju avstått utbildning helt. Henrik Larsson muttrade en hel del om att det gick betydligt snabbare i Skottland. Sen gjorde han ändå utbildningen i Sverige. Patrik Andersson är en annan som har velat kliva in på olika positioner i eh, fotbollslivet för att... Eh, dra nytta av hans erfarenheter och att man ska liksom se till att de gamla storspelarna som varit med på högsta nivå som därmed kan det mesta ska kunna hjälpa till inom svensk fotboll. Fredrik Ljungberg var ju en annan spelare som var ute och tyckte att förbundet inte gjorde rätt och vi i media, bland annat jag själv har ju hakat på det där och tyckt att ja, men det är klart att man borde ta nytta av de här profilerna som gjort så mycket och som lärt sig så mycket på vägen. Därför är det lite uppfriskande med Raymond Ferhejen som eh, inte skräder orden om hur eh, det är när storspelare och om de ska få en gräddfil eller inte. Han har en helt annan åsikt i den frågan. Former players have a lot of knowledge and experience about football because they have played football at the highest level. So they have been there. They know what it takes to play football under the most difficult circumstances. So potentially they are the best coaches. But when they finish playing, it, that knowledge and experience is in their brain. It's inside them. But when you are a coach, you need the ability to transfer that knowledge and experience onto your players. So you need communication skills, you need methodology, you have to be systematic. Uh, you need teaching skills, etc. But these players, they have been player from, let's say, 16 till 36. So for 20 years, they have lived like a, a prof professional player. And most professional players, they live like in a bubble. They live like a local, they are the local hero and everybody uh, is admiring them. And these players, they hardly ever read a book. They never write something. They, um, they don't have to start conversations with strangers because other people always start talking to them. Uh, because if the player comes somewhere, everybody wants to know something from the player. Ah, there you have uh, Patrick Anderson. Oh, I'm going to ask him a question. So these players for 20 years are almost like outside society in a bubble. So they are underdeveloped persons. Uh, you and I, we are part of society and we have to develop all kind of communication skills, etc. Uh, so we have to develop ourselves and we are doing courses, uh, internal courses in a company or external courses, whatever. But these players are only playing football. They never read a book, they never do a course, etc. 
So by the time these 36-year-old players, they, they retire, yes, they have a lot of knowledge and experience in their head, but they don't have the teaching skills, the communication skills to teach it to players. And then these relatively underdeveloped people are fast-tracked in coach education. Yeah, that is very sad for them because they have an inability. They have an inability to teach and communicate. And then you are going to shorten their coach education. Yeah. It's almost like committing suicide, you see? So what should happen is that these former players should get longer education because they have to catch up all the abilities that you and I learn in society the last 20 years. So they have to catch up in, instead of learning how to read the book without losing your concentration. They have to uh, learn how to have uh, conversations with people. They have to learn how to write on a flip chart and explain things in a logical, systematic way, methodological training sessions, etc. So they have to learn to be structured. Once they have done this extra education to catch up their inability to communicate, then they have the same abilities as everybody else, and then they will be the best coaches, because then, with their knowledge and experience, they will be better than somebody else. The Swedish FA are looking over their organization of, of the, the, the sporting department, in a way, which runs the national team and all the teams under. What would be your advice when they're doing it from the beginning? My advice to everybody in the football world is approach football and coaching football as a profession, just like pilots, surgeons and Navy SEALs approach their job. In other words, put the bar high, create objective references instead of subjective opinions and approach the job based on objectivity rather than the flavor of the month. Because everybody all around the world is playing the same game. But the problem is that if you have a Korean pilot and a, Cor and a Portuguese pilot, they are educated in exactly the same way because eventually they have to fly the same plane, the Boeing. So although a Portuguese guy and a Korean guy, they are two totally different persons from totally different cultures, still they are educated in the same references with the same terminology because they have to fly the same Boeing. What you would expect is that a Portuguese football coach and a Korean football coach are also educated in exactly the same way because eventually they have to coach the same game. In Portugal and in Korea, you have the same game with the same laws of the game, with the same characteristics of the game. The game is exactly the same in Korea and Portugal. So you would expect them to be educated in exactly the same way, like pilots and surgeons, etc. But we all know that in Portugal and in Korea or other countries, the coaches 
are not educated in exactly the same way, but they are educated in a Korean way, or in a Portuguese way, or in a Swedish way. As if in Sweden you are playing a different game compared to Portugal or Korea, which is not the case. So the fact that football coaches are educated differently in different countries is the perfect example of the weakness of football. We are coaching the same game, but we are educated in totally different ways. But isn't that the culture, like the culture in, in Portugal is to play football in a way, or in Holland, as you're famous for total football, and isn't that part of being the Swedish culture of football? Yeah, but is there a Swedish way to fly a Boeing? I don't think so. Okay. In uh, the lecture today, you said that the FA technical director should be a visionary. What did you really mean by that? Well, the technical director is somebody who has to develop the long-term uh, process. He has to be a philosopher. He has to be a analytical person, uh, a objective person, because he is responsible for educating and developing the game. The problem is that most technical directors are subjective, so their opinion influences their work. But that means that a technical director is the flavor of the month, because if the technical director is doing his job based on his opinion and experience, in other words, subjective, then that means that if you have technical director A with subjectivity A, and then next year you have technical director B with subjectivity B, then you have two technical directors who are doing things totally different. But they are technical director in the same sport. Yeah, I rest my case. I can't make it more clear that when you play the same sport and you have two technical directors who are doing things totally different. In other words, they fly the Boeing totally different. Yeah, in with airplanes that's not allowed, but in football apparently that is allowed. Yeah, that is the weakness of football, subjectivity. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Damon Ferheyen var i Sverige och föreläste för första gången hösten 2014. Redan då så blev jag kontaktad av Johan Svensson som jobbar för World Football Academy eller egentligen det egna svenska företaget J2 Performance. Och han undrade om jag var intresserad av en podd och det var jag naturligtvis. Men det han inte med den gången, däremot kom Johan tillbaka och sa att nu kommer han igen. Och eh, du kan få göra en intervju. Men Raymond vill att du sitter med hela dagen för att du bättre ska förstå vad du ska fråga om. Det hade både Johan och Raymond rätt i. Även om det blev långa 12 timmar med eh, den här holländaren. Och jag bara älskar ju att han noterade att jag någon gång fingrade på min eh, mobiltelefon under den långa dagen. Och kunde skjuta in det. Han är en eh, speciell person och... Jag kan nog egentligen för lite för att ifrågasätta honom. Men det han säger låter ju så väldigt klokt och tydligt. Och är det en sak jag kan hålla med honom om så är det ju att fotbollen är en oerhört konservativ värld. Och att man har väldigt svårt att slå igenom med nya saker. För man gör gärna grejer som man har gjort förut. Även för jag tror att MFF-spelarna har slutat springa i tidlandsparken för att göra en jämförelse från förr i tiden så att säga. 
Och eh, Raymond Förhejen, eh, ja, han tar inga fångar och det gillar man ju på något sätt. Även om han försöker klä in det i att han eh, bara sysslar med fakta. Det är inga åsikter. Men eh, det kan, finns ju saker här hur man presenterar fakta på olika sätt. Men intressant var det och är man lagd åt det hållet, det vill säga att man sysslar som tränare eller något liknande Då kan jag verkligen rekommendera att besöka en sån Jag säger inte att man behöver ta efter allt Men det var oerhört intressant att höra honom berätta om hur fotbollen fungerar och hur den borde fungera Och podden rullar som sagt vidare och tacksam för all feedback, alla reaktioner och allting Eh, mail olof.lund.tv4.se eller twitter olof.lund eller eh, instagram olof.lund Tack för den här veckan! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.